You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We were fishing in uh, October, not last year, year before. And uh, my fellow fishermen that work along the coast from Whitby up to Hartlepool, fishing with crab pots to catch lobsters and crabs, started to report some very, very strange findings. The catch rates had absolutely dropped off. They were hauling their pots up with crabs that were turned upside down and that were twitching as if they had some sort of nervous disorder. And slowly, day by day, this occurred further and further along the coast. And we got reports from fellow fishermen and they were finding that all their lobsters that were in their cape pots were dead. All the green crabs, which are collected for fishing bait, all dead. And then the devastation started. It was absolutely horrendous. There was a wall four foot, five foot deep of dead crabs and lobsters. And all we thought was, oh my Lord, that's our future stock there. We are ruined. It was terrifying to, to see it happening. And it was absolutely heart-rendering. In the last few months of 2021, along the beaches where the River Tees meets the sea, a nightmarish scene unfolded. Along a coastline stretching about 70 kilometres from Seaham in County Durham to Robin Hood's Bay in North Yorkshire, thousands and thousands of crabs were washing up, either twitching alarmingly in the last throes of life or they were dead already. For the fishermen who know every inch of that coastline, they've never seen anything like it. A wall of carcasses, thousands of dead crabs, had suddenly appeared out of the blue. The fishermen and the local community raised the alarm demanding answers from the very top of government. 
We are joined by the Prime Minister, Liz Truss. We've had lots of questions in about the sea life deaths on the northeast coast. Are you committed to another investigation and really sorting that problem? Um, I would need to look into that issue, to be honest, but I will, I will certainly be uh, raising that with the Environment Secretary. But the first official investigation by the government raised more questions than answers. DEFRA already carried out a comprehensive, evidence-led investigation, considered everything robustly. The government had to give in and commission a new, independent scientific report, which was finally published last week. But does it solve the mystery? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, what's killing the Teesside crabs? I'm James Cole, I'm a Whitby fisherman. My family go back fishing absolutely generations. I don't know whether I'm maybe sixth, seventh generation fisherman. We've all just lived on the coast. I've been wandering up and down Whitby fish case since I was in basically short trousers. Uh, he used to help my grandfather with his trawler, the Venus. And then, of course, my father took over. And then I took over as skipper with my father and my brother. I've got my own boat with my son aboard the boat. I'm the chairman of the Whitby Fishermen's Association and also heavily involved in the North Eastern Collective and vice chairman of the Anglo-Scottish Fish Producers Organisation. So I get roped into many different, very various guises in the fishing industry. That's a, a, a very impressive roster of roles. It comes with age. The older you get, the more responsibility you seem to take on. But I don't feel like I'm getting any older. Well, I am getting older, but, you know, I don't feel like I'm ready for a, for a lot of what's been thrown at me. But with the industry shrinking and uh, not having the manpower and, and losing a lot of people, it's up to such as myself that's been in the job for 35, 40 years to, to speak out. James's hometown, Whitby, in North Yorkshire, has a proud seafaring history stretching back over centuries. It was here that the explorer, Captain James Cook, who charted the coastlines of New Zealand and Australia, found his sea legs as an apprentice at a shipping company. But despite those centuries of history and tradition, what happened in 2021 with the mass die-off of crustaceans could now threaten to kill off the fishing trade in Whitby. We started the North Eastern Fishing Collective and we had fishermen from Seaham, which is north side of Hartlepool, all the way up to Scarborough. And it all affected us to different degrees. The guys that fish Hartlepool, it took all their stock. Their catches went down to absolutely zero overnight and it killed what they had left at sea ready to bring ashore. When you got up to Whitby, on the inshore grounds 
like the guys who work for lobsters in shore and catch crabs as well. They had to bring their pots ashore because there was absolutely nothing in them whatsoever. But there was a die-off zone, see? And in that die-off zone, there was no crabs. And there still isn't all this time on and there still is no stock in this die-off zone. And when you go to your pots, if you haul them up and there's nothing in them at all, it's cost you to haul them up. You've had to fuel to get out there, men's wages and bait to bait the pots. Us that fish further out, because we have a slightly bigger boat, on our traditional grounds, we had to move away so that we could look for something to, else to catch, which was out of the dive zone, which meant as we increased our costs, we had more fuel to burn to go out. We had to take more bait with us because we were fishing yeah. in deeper water and we had to take more pots to sea. And this was the run-up to Christmas. Really? It was November, December when it started to affect the Whitby fleet, basically. And you've got lobster prices rising to £30 a kilo at Christmas time, the two best months of the year for your earnings, and there's nothing to catch. It was absolutely devastating because there was absolutely no help from nobody. And if you don't turn over any money, you go bankrupt. My brothers had to leave the industry last year and go down to the wind farm because of the poor opportunities that we're facing. It was a bit of a real heavy blow. My brother had just decided to buy his own boat the year before last with his son and carry the family tradition on into the future. But sadly, the, uh, my brother and his nephew have had to go to the offshore wind farming but. I'm soldiering on, me and my son and another crew member, and uh, we're just basically uh, taking it day by day. Oh, James, it can't be easy. A wall of just dead crabs and lobsters, that must have looked absolutely shocking. Are you still finding dead lobsters and crabs? Is it still happening or are they getting better? Are you still seeing signs of crustaceans dying? This is the queerest thing which we found out in the laboratory but the main species to wash up on the beaches which absolutely killed every one of them was crab species so it killed your green crab your brown crab your velvet crab it really affected lobsters but it didn't kill a lot of them really it's, it, it give, yes we've had a year where we've had a lot of secondary diseases in lobsters and, and weak and, and feeble animals like they haven't been as affected as the crab population, but it still has had a detrimental effect. And the thing is, the crabs have not migrated back into the die-off zone. If it had been a one-off event and it had gone through and killed everything crab-wise, you would have seen the crabs from further afield migrate back in in small numbers and started to take hold of the grounds where the crabs had been killed from but they haven't we're not seeing any crab variations in that die-off zone and it's like as if something is constantly killing them off the fishermen raised the alarm and by the christmas of 2021 
The Government Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, DEFRA, took responsibility for a multi-agency investigation. Hi, I'm Adam Vaughan. I'm the Environment Editor at The Times. We'll hear more from James and Whitby later, but in The Times office, Adam has been looking into that investigation and the mysterious circumstances around the crab die-off. So there's a sort of really interesting cache of documents that's been released under Freedom of Information Rules that shows how comprehensive, I think it's fair to say, the sort of government response was right back at the, from the start. They were taking regular samples, they were meeting regularly saying what could be the theory behind this. There were a few things that they were looking at. Some sort of local pollution incident was one possible theory. There was an algal bloom was another possible theory. Just explain what that is. Basically, it quite often happens with warm waters and you just end up with an excess of algae, basically. So, you, so, you know, there's always some, but you, this is where you end up with so much that it they can create toxins that kill marine life. That doesn't sound like autumn in the northeast. No, it doesn't particularly, which, you know, as a few people have pointed out, it seems a bit odd. But however, one was detected by satellites. It's not impossible. And then this all ended up in a report last May, in May 2022. They floated these various reasons and said, we don't really have enough, a strong enough line of evidence for any of them. However, they did, and this is what everyone remembers about that report, they did say it was significant that there was an algal bloom. The fishermen, when they heard this report, were instantly suspicious. Just explain why. Well, you've touched on it partly, the fact that an algal bloom that time of year is not what you'd associate. Um, Would it have affected other species, for example? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the things that the people were confused as to why it was just crustaceans. In general, yeah, you'd expect fish and other species to die during an algal bloom from the toxins, and that wasn't the case in this occasion. So that's partly what made people a little bit dismissive of the algal bloom theory. And where did that point them? A lot of the fishing community quite early latched on to this idea that it was something to do with the area's industrial past. When I talked to people fishing there, they were saying this was unprecedented, that we'd not seen these sort of deaths before. They've obviously had algal blooms before. But that, that, that led them to try and think, oh, is it something novel, something new? And several people latched onto this idea that it might be something called pyridine, which is a toxic chemical. It's a solvent. It's used in paint making and various other things. So ICI, Imperial Chemicals Industries, they had a site up in Teesside that, amongst other things, did make paint, which can contain pyridine. And this is from an, an old ICI plant, not even one that is in action now. I mean, it could have been from that. The, the, I mean, no one knows that, right? We don't know that that facility was leaking anything. There are other industries up there that could have been the source of it, potentially. So it just fit with people's... It fit with a narrative, I think, to a certain degree. It sort of intuitively made sense to people. It's like, oh, this, was, mm. this has been an industrial area for a long time. We might accidentally have unleashed some of it. And just explain that. What is it about pyridine that means it would affect crustaceans, but not ordinary fish? I was talking to scientists and they, I was asking, has there been a big sort of marine die-off before linked to pyridine? And as far as people knew, there wasn't. It's not oh. really something that people were familiar with. So it's just something that's not been very well studied before. The thing that people did say is that it's not super toxic. Of all the pollutants you might look at as a candidate, this wasn't the obvious one. Maybe the, one of the interesting outcomes of this might be that we found out that a weakness of crabs, but we don't know that yet. 
There has been a study led by researchers at Newcastle University which found that pyridine was highly toxic to crabs. That study is now being peer-reviewed. It was funded by a fishing group and there was also another paper earlier in the year as well that also focused on pyridine and that was also funded by a fishing group. So you've clearly got a demographic here that has decided this is the problem. We don't believe the government report. We want some independent research to show it. And do the scientists have an idea of how pyridine would have ended up in the sea suddenly? You mentioned there's been ICI plants in the past, but why, why now? I think this is partly why the fishing community really focused on this because the suggestion was that it might have been released by dredging of sediment. So in the mouth of the River Tees there, it comes out of the sea and that needs to be regularly dredged to keep it clear for big vessels. So it doesn't get too silty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. It just builds up over time. It's something they've had to do for decades, just periodically removing it. And there had been a landslip nearby just before September's time that had required some sediment to be removed. So one school of thought was that maybe the pyridine had been in the sediment, the stretching had disturbed it. Added sort of complication, if you will, is that this port has been selected for a super port upgrade. It's one of the um, government's flagship free port hmm. schemes. The idea behind free ports is to give a few ports around the country special status so that normal tax and customs rules don't apply. They're supposed to encourage trade by making it cheaper to import and export goods into those areas. They were being promoted as a benefit of Brexit during the lead-up to the EU referendum by, back then, a little-known backbench MP, one Rishi Sunak. Can I just ask you, because you have an idea, tell us about the free ports idea. The idea that I've been looking at is after we leave the EU, we have the opportunity to capitalise on creating free ports all around the country. Then, in the spring budget in 2021, just months before the first die-off would begin, Rishi Sunak, now the Chancellor, announced that the Tees Valley would be one of the first and largest free ports to be given the green light. Madam Deputy Speaker, I have one final announcement that exemplifies the future economy. A policy on a scale we've never done before. A policy to bring investment, trade, and most importantly, jobs right across this country. To encourage free trade and reinforce our position as an outward-looking trading nation open to the world. Free ports. The free port keeps popping up in this mystery. It's often been raised, particularly by opposition politicians, as a significant factor in the crab deaths. But it's important to note that work on the free port hadn't actually started when the die-off began. Later down the line, more deeper dredging was going to begin for the port's upgrade. But that's, it's important to stress that that comes later down the line. When does that start? That's more like September 2022. So uh-huh. I think we can fairly conclusively rule that out because the timeline just doesn't match up, right? Right. Um, however, it could be that the dredging way back in 2021, just routine dredging happened to After release that something that had been there for years in the 
who knows? We don't know. And how do the fishermen, you know, you mentioned the Freeport and the dredging. How do the fishermen feel about that now? Even though, you know, looking at the timeline, we think that can probably be ruled out. It's sort of getting a little bit politicised. Their priority is protecting a narrow political agenda rather than the interests of the people of Teesside and North Yorkshire. Political mudslinging from the party opposite are not helpful. Because it's sometimes been framed as development versus environment, the story this one. Mm. So it's sometimes been framed as the idea that this die-off of all these crabs and lobsters is somehow linked to the expansion of the Freeport. And I spoke to a fisherman who'd... um, been accused of being a sort of Labour stooge and he was outraged by that because he said, I've never voted Labour in my life. So yeah, it's all been a little bit politicised, I think it's fair to say. The timelines just don't stack up. Don't think we can draw a line from these thousands of crabs and lobsters starting to wash up in October 2021 when the work on this new port didn't start till a year later. For James Cole, back in Whitby, the campaign to solve this mystery is not about stopping the free port. Well, I'm neither for it or against it, and I never have been. If it creates jobs and wealth and it tidies Teesside up and it, it turns it around, then yeah, fair dues, bring it on. But there's no point having a real good job created by the free port if when you take the, your dog for a walk on the beach, it dies because of the toxins what's been released through it. It's a step backwards. I'm like every fisherman. We have nothing against the Freeport. It's a good thing for the area, but it must be done right. The campaign hasn't been about stopping all dredging either. They just want any new dredging to be done cautiously until investigators can find out the root cause of the crab deaths. Now, capital dredging is new dredging. That's when they're going to go deeper and wider. It's when they start to set existing riverbanks away that have been laid down there for centuries. I would like to see all capital dredging on the Tees paused until thorough, open, investigated testing is done thoroughly. We're not silly. We know that maintenance dredging has to be done to keep watercourses and harbours and docks open. That's a no-brainer. That's absolutely out there it gets done everywhere needs needs to be dredged but when it comes to dredging in new areas surely it's due diligence to test it to make sure that you're not putting something in our environment that shouldn't be there that's going to make its way up the food chain and poison us and our children coming up Will another government report finally get to the bottom of the mystery? That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Hannah Alothman and I'm a news reporter at the Sunday Times. I'm based in Manchester, bringing you stories from across the north of England. And I've also worked on investigations such as that into the death of Agnes Wanjiru, a Kenyan woman killed by a British soldier. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we've got, on the one hand, the algal bloom, which we're ruling out. The fishermen have commissioned their own report, which is actually much more in favour of pyridine as the cause. How does DEFRA take this? What's their response? For a while, there's there's just sort of an impasse, really. It sort of rumbles along a bit. This is summer 2022. And then what happened was it came to the attention of a select committee of MPs, Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Committee, and they held a, a hearing with various experts, including people from the government, people from the area, and then it became a sort of political hot potato and you had pressure on the new Environment Secretary, Theresa Coffey, to do something about it. Mr Speaker, on food security and fish stocks, will she now commit to an independent evaluation of the evidence to protect all our coasts from the massive destruction from toxic emissions ahead of Freeport's from dredging? Well, Mr Speaker, I've already replied to the DEFRA Select Committee about this. In terms of the impact on crabs, uh, it is... um, under investigation, he's aware. And then you've got Rishi Sunak having to stand up in Prime Minister's questions. DEFRA already carried out a comprehensive, evidence-led investigation, considered everything robustly, and concluded that natural causes was most likely responsible for some of the things that we saw. But we recognise people want a thorough investigation of this issue, and DEFRA have confirmed that an independent panel will be set up to report quickly. So they promised a new review towards the end of 2022 to look at it again. That's unusual. Having already published one review that year, they're having to accept that their review didn't have the right answer and they're launching a new one. Yeah, I think it was partly about, because the report that came out in May 2022 was done by a government team, it was a government report, and then because of you mentioned, obviously, there's this feeling that the government's got obviously pretty heavily invested stake in Freeport expansion, so I think it was really a question of trust and perception. So the ministers promised an independent panel made up of scientists from universities and so on to 
get together and try and finally get to the bottom of this. We're now on to the second report from DEFRA. In the meantime, in that period, what's happened in between the fishermen and the government? What is that relationship like? The people in the fishing community I've spoke to up there, none of them are happy, clearly, because they don't feel like they have an answer. And I think for a long time, there was a lot of complaints that they, they were contacting government agencies and they weren't hearing back and so on. So I think there was a general feeling of not being listened to. Rightly or wrongly, that was how people felt. In November 2022, more than a year after the crabs started dying, the new Environment Secretary, Therese Coffey, promised an independent panel review. The findings were published just over a week ago. So, what is the answer? Do we now know, finally, what's been killing the Teesside crabs? Well, not exactly. This is a really posh version of We Don't Know, this report. So the mystery, I'm afraid, is still unsolved as to what killed the crabs and the lobsters. What is interesting is it does move things on a bit. The report basically concludes that pyridium is very unlikely. They say that because they couldn't find in the region levels that would be toxic enough to kill crabs in the water. They just couldn't find that. They also point out that the pyridium theory doesn't necessarily stack up because you'd need some sort of large ongoing release of it throughout 2022 to explain why crabs and lobsters were washing up dead for months thereafter. And so they've sort of ruled that out. And last week in the Commons, the Environment Minister, Mark Spencer, said the report ruled out links to the Freeport and dredging. Pyridine or another toxic pollutant as the cause was very unlikely, uh, as was any link to dredging in the Teesside Freeport. The panel concluded capital dredging was exceptionally unlikely. But interestingly, they also rule out the algal bloom theory. Uh. They say that partly because for a lack of evidence, partly because the the deaths go on after the algal bloom is gone. And also, as we've covered earlier, they don't understand why the algal bloom didn't cover, kill other species as well. It only killed crabs and lobsters. But it does feel like they've come along and just wiped off all the suspects from our blackboard. So what's left? That leaves us with a mystery new pathogen. I mean, that doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't sound great, does it? I mean, but there's some sort of new bacterium, some sort of new parasites, something that we maybe haven't experienced in the UK before. There have been big marine die-offs of lobsters and crabs in other countries, in the States, for example, like one-off episodes where... They have died, so they have managed to pinpoint the cause of some of those other events elsewhere. These are not things that happen all the time. They're like one happened in like the late nineties and so on. I should say, for the sake of scientific clarity, they conclude that this new pathogen, this novel pathogen, as they call it, was as likely as it was unlikely. <laughs> so they really, uh, just to be clear, which sounds like ridiculous sort of language, but that is the scientific language they use. This doesn't very, sound like the end of a mystery. No, it is not. There's definitely, I think there's, there's certainly room for a sequel here. So we're, we're actually no clearer. They've posited a whole new theory, but there's no particular evidence to show it's true. I would say we are clearer in so much as this has been framed as a whodunit. With two, two main suspects. Yeah, exactly. You know, they have managed to discount stuff. However, you're entirely right. We're no closer to knowing what the answer was. 
will we ever know? So will we ever know? I, I asked that question of one of the scientists on the panel and she said, we might do, was basically her answer. I'm paraphrasing, but her point was that they've still got frozen samples from oh, animals. Some of so the so there might be that at some point they managed to narrow it down to one of these other pathogens uh, or maybe there's some new way of studying the, the carcasses later down the line to detect things. Who knows? We might find out later down the line, she said, it's difficult to turn back time. And I think the honest answer is it's probably quite unlikely we'll ever find out. In the meantime, for the fishermen in the northeast, this is now the second DEFRA report that's come out, but no real help for them in sight. No, and, and certainly some of the sort of fishermen that I spoke to are sort of not giving up the fight as they described it. When I spoke to someone on the day the report came out, they'd literally sent a boat out to try and take sediment samples to try and do their own further independent analysis. So I don't think this is the last we'll hear of this. If it's a disease and a pathogen, why haven't we got scientists all over it now? You've got to eliminate it one way or the other. Let's not beat around the bush here. You've got Teesport, which is one of the major ports in Europe, with shipping going in and out. And you have a possible disease, unknown disease, pathogen, kicking about in the waters, where you've got busiest shipping lanes and ships going all around the globe. Isn't this another one of them episodes where you're unleashing something to the rest of the world that you should be investigating thoroughly and be all over it? You cannot leave it like that. They've left it like an open book. And James, for you, I know this last report is clearly unsatisfactory. It hasn't given you any answers that have helped. But what do you want to see happen now? I would like to see scientists all over it, testing every possibility, testing for pathogens, testing for chemicals in the mud. But we're having to do that. They should be testing for the full range of chemicals that was produced on the teas over the last 200 years because all of it would have made its way into that river course and into that mud at some point so they should be testing it to make sure there isn't too much amounts and it should be open whatever they do should be open for everybody to look at and the only thing what's suffering here is our environment and we are part of our environment we are part of it we're human we're part of the food chain i've spoken to guys on the phone along the district that have been in tears, that have broken down and cried on the phone about what had happened to our stock first and foremost, not thinking about where their next pay packet comes from, but heartbroken over the devastation to our inshore fisheries and our inshore stock and our future. I mean, how do you tell a young lad in his mid-30s and 40s, that's put his heart and soul into fishing, that you can't go you, you, you can't go next week and you can't go the week after. That's you done. That's your job done. And he maybe has a, a loan out on that boat and he's set his stall out for his life's work just to go to sea because he enjoys it. I've had my run in fishing and I've enjoyed it and it's devastating that it's come to this, but I can go and get another job ashore doing something immaterial, stacking shelves or something just to get a wage. I go to sea because I enjoy it and I love going to sea. And I feel like I'm part part of 
my heritage and it would it would break my heart not to go but I feel more for the younger guys and the fact that I've stepped ashore away from fishing and there's nothing left in the ocean. How devastating is that to anybody? And it's hard, hard to... I'm choking up a little bit about it, but I've, I've even thought about hanging hanging my boots up and I'm like, well, what are you going to do, James? And you, you talk to any fishermen up and down this coast and they don't do it for money. Yeah, they need to keep the business afloat and you need to keep your heads above water. But it's a passion. It's it's our hobby, it's our passion. And a lot of us, you could cut us open and salt water would run out because we've got generations of seafarers in our blood. And how do you, how do you stop that? How do you stop that urge to want to go to sea? You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, chair of the Whitby Commercial Fishing Association, James Cole, and environment editor at The Times, Adam Vaughan. You can find all of Adam's work on this at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learnt anything from it, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>